Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 and the last time we looked at the parable of the talents the parable of the talents basically is a stewardship issue what are we doing with the things that God has given us we've all been blessed physically we've been blessed with spiritual gifts and again it's a stewardship issue what are we doing with our lives we can take things and hoard them for ourselves or we can consider how God wants to use us and today We're going to be looking at the parable of the rich fool. Now, for those of you that don't know, we have a church Facebook group, which you can jump onto today if you like after service. And what I do is, what we do is, before we teach a message, whether it's uh, Sunday or Wednesday or whatever, we put a little teaser, like a trailer, on the Facebook page. And I purposely omitted putting this parable on there for today. And the reason being is because... A lot of misconceptions about the parable. Some people look at it and just by the title say, well, I'm not rich, so it doesn't apply to me. Actually, that's not true. (laughs) As we go through it, we're going to go through a lot of points that are applicable to everyone. Now, here's the context. As usual, Jesus is preaching. The crowds are gathering. They're listening. Some of them are devoted followers. Some of them are seekers, just want to have their ears tickled. And Jesus is talking about focusing on God, getting serious about God. And somebody yells, yells out to him, interrupts his teaching, and says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So Jesus is trying to speak about spiritual things, and this guy is just thinking about his temporal or monetary issue. And really nothing's changed in a few thousand years. Whether a sermon is being preached and we try to follow our Lord Jesus and teach the word, there are some that their, their minds are not focused. And that's why, a lot, why we do worship, to kind of get your mind and your spirit acclimated to your environment so that you can hear the word. And, and like Jesus said, you have ears to hear. We hear a lot of things, but are we really listening? So when we do ministry and people are listening, we want to get them in the right frame of mind to hear what's going on spiritually. How is God trying to reach their hearts? Because there's a whole lot of distractions in the world. And sometimes you can have a conversation, a spiritual conversation, and the person that you're conversing with is only looking at the temporal issue, sort of like this man who called out. And you have, you're really having a parallel discussion. You're going in one direction trying to help them and to fix the root of their problems in life, but they just want their symptoms treated. And they end up kicking the can down the road. The desire in in Christianity is to help people to understand God through Jesus Christ and to change their circumstances, to change their lifestyles, you know, and God will bless even through the times of trial, but some are just listening and looking for a temporal, an earthly, a monetary, I just need this much money. If I can just get this much, you know, and they're not seeing the root of the problem. So we're going to take this in nine parts. Uh, Jumping in with verse 13 Then one from the crowd, so Jesus is teaching, then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, 
Who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? I kind of love the translation. It, it, I, it's humorous to me. And sometimes when you go through to the Greek, to the English, something gets a little lost there. But I'm sure Jesus said it kindly. I'm sure he said it respectfully. But he continues, Jesus, in verse 15. He says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So the first thing we look at, well, actually, we, we look at the interruption here. And this is what precipitates the parable. The man is looking for a temporal fix. And Jesus is basically saying, you know, I'm not here for that right now. Could Jesus be an arbiter? Could he be a fair judge? Of course he could. But his first coming was really focused on helping people to get right and to have a relationship with God. And furthermore, the, he says to beware of covetousness, which is the root of this sibling rivalry. So Jesus sees right into the heart of the man. He sees the problem and he exposes the problem, which is the root. Now, let's look at this for a minute because covetous is, you know, some people, I'm not really familiar with that word. But if we look at dictionary.com, covetousness means to be inordinately, inordinately or wrongly desirous of wealth or possessions. Greedy. And it says that right in there, greedy. I'm going to make the case that you don't have to be rich to be greedy. You know, sometimes people are greedy with what little they have. And covetousness is the 10th commandment to not break. Don't be covetous. But if you think about it, covetousness is a gateway to breaking the other nine. Right? When you're dealing with God. God's not moving fast enough. God's not blessing me like that TV preacher told me. And you, you start to, your covetousness can have you have a falling out with, with God. Um, it could cause you to kill. It could cause you to lie about others. I mean, you can go through the whole list. It's pretty impressive. In a bad way, of course. But Jesus said, Life does not consist in the abundance of things we possess. And a word came to my mind, identity. Some people today have an identity crisis. Are we, is our identity in what we have? Is our identity in the car we drive or the house that we have or the, the toys that we have in our sheds? You know, the rich man here builds bigger sheds for his grain. Sometimes we build bigger stuff for our stuff. You know what I'm saying? Is I've got to shove more things in there and it's just not big enough. I've got to put on an addition. So identity. Our identity should not be, and it is not. And when we die and stand before God, it will not define us. And I'll talk about that again at the end. Verse 16. It says, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a, rich, a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many, good, many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So one out of nine for this morning is the catalyst, the spark. Verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. The Greek word for plentifully is euphorio, where we get the word in English euphoric. Wow, a bumper crop. 
Boy, that stuff's really starting to grow. Wow, look at the heads of grain. Look at how much. Wow, this, this is going to be a bumper crop, big time. So it's the catalyst. Sadly, Jesus had to uh, go against some of the poor doctrine of some of the religious leaders back then. Religious leaders back then, and some today, especially in the prosperity gospel movement, erroneously believe that if you have wealth, it means you have God's favor. This dispels that myth. Because in this instance, wealth was the catalyst to the man's demise. Understand, there are righteous wealthy and righteous poor. There are evil wealthy and evil poor. That being said, sometimes possessions or wealth bestowed upon a person can reveal and sometimes ruin a person's character. Let me say that again. Wealth, possessions bestowed upon a person can reveal and sometimes ruin a person's character. It could be wealth, it could be fame. There are some that get a taste of fame and they're a different person. You're like, wait a minute, I knew that person for years and just because they got this big break and they come back and they're completely changed. Some could be praying for a job or praying for something that when they get it, it hurts them. It harms their character. You know, I've prayed for a lot of things being a Christian for over 20 years, and I'm thankful for a lot of the prayers that weren't answered because they would have probably hurt me. You know what I'm saying? So thank God, I know it's strange to say, for unanswered prayer. In this instance, this wealth seems to have done both. It revealed and it also ruined Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. This is amazing. Moses is telling the children of Israel they're going to go into the promised land. They're going to see vineyards. They're going to see houses. They're going to see uh, crops. They're going to see a great climate. And the children of Israel, check it out. He's warning them about wealth. You're going to have so much. And the warning to the children of Israel is that in your abundance, you might forget God. That's impressive. You know, see, this is why we teach the whole Bible, not just our favorite parts. Proverbs 30, 8, 30, verse 8. Agur said, give me neither poverty nor riches. Well, nobody wants to be poor. But this guy was praying that he didn't get riches either. Maybe he knew his own heart. Maybe he knew his weaknesses. And then the question comes down to when a person does change, was it always inside of them and it lay dormant like a virus? Or was it something that the possessions and the wealth actually ch changed the person's character? And folks, this is why the Bible says that we have to guard our hearts. What are we letting in to our hearts? What are we letting into the gates that can come and change us for the worse? Two out of, out of nine, perspective. Now let's be careful not to say, well... This isn't about me. I have no concern here because I'm not rich. The problem with rich is it's a subjective term. In the United States, we live better than probably 80% of the world's population. To us, rich, to us, rich is somebody who makes more than a million dollars a year or a half a million dollars a year. Outside the United States, to most of the world's population, to them, rich is somebody who makes more than a thousand dollars a year. Think about that. So the parable is more about the human heart. 
than it is subjective terms like rich or wealthy. So therefore, the parable can affect us all. And if nothing else, maybe this morning the parable is an inoculation to keep us from going down the wrong path. All right, sir, we, sure, we, we worry about trials and tribulation, but we have to watch that back door of wealth and possessions. Right? Guard our hearts. Three, selfishness. Three out of nine. Verses 17 through 18, the rich man says, what shall I do about my increase? Well, I know. I'll take down the small barns and build bigger ones to store my goods. Now, he's, it's kind of cool in the parable, he's talking to himself, which is not bad in and of itself. But what he, the discussion he has with himself reveals his heart for us to examine, for us to learn from. Well, first, to me, I, I thought about, he keeps tearing his barns down and building bigger ones. He sounds like a hoarder, you know. He just keeps getting more stuff and building bigger barns to, to hold it all. But check it out, there's no consideration given here to blessing others. Gee, I wonder who in the community or in my family might need help. He doesn't give any consideration to glorifying God. Uh, look at me, I'm, I'm a pretty great guy. I got, I got a lot of crops. He also doesn't consider asking God what he might want him to do with that. Okay? Sadly, many have that mentality today. Me, me, I, I. My barns, my crops, my goods. But by the end of the day, he lost all of his possessions, he lost his life, and he lost his soul. Something to take note of. Four out of nine is self-sufficiency and self-centeredness. I do make a differentiation between selfishness. Selfishness is a, it's a poor quality. It's somebody who's just always thinking about themselves. But self-sufficiency, and they're, very, they're interrelated. Self-sufficiency says, well, whatever I have, I'm a self-made person. Self-made man, self-made woman, I did it all. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anybody's help. Me, me, me. Self-centeredness is where you go through life where you're the center. Right? You're the center. Everything you see could be a family conflict. It could be an issue with your relationship with God. It's always from my perspective, and I'm usually always right. You know, that's the attitude. So four, the man's attitude, he says, I will do, I will build, I will be taken care of so I can eat drink, and be merry. Again, no mention of generosity, no mention of God at all. Wealth and aggrandizement can, not always, but can distort one's view of self, inflate one's ego, and cause a lack of judgment. And I've used this, this situation, I've used the scenario, and you've all seen it to some degree, a person who gets something, you know, what some might think is a monetary blessing, or they get a promotion, or they promoted fast in the company. And they're just poor character people with a promotion, or with money, or with some type of blessing, with stuff, with possessions. They don't treat their subordinates well. They're, um, you know, and it, probably many talk about them behind their back. They're not, they're not gracious. They're not kind. All these things. Five, misplaced trust. Verse 19, he said, I have goods laid up for many years. 
And he tells himself, take your ease. Relax. It's all good. The man's trust was completely in his possessions. And that night he died. And that's not uncommon. We hear, I hear from you, you tell me personally, stories, people that you know, they just died. Nobody could figure out why. Waiting for the autopsy. It's an untimely death. It seemed like that person had their whole life ahead of them, and they died. I can tell you I've seen death a lot, being a road police officer for 25 years and a pastor for 14. I can tell you this, that the majority of the folks who died didn't see it coming. You know, wouldn't it be great if when we're born, maybe in a discreet place, like under your armpit, there's like an expiration date? <laughs> I mean, if, it, if that was me, I'd be like, well, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. Maybe not tomorrow, but it's coming. And you know what I do? I plan my life. If it was 10 years from now, 20 years, I would adjust my lifestyle based on the expiration date. You know what I'm saying? But that doesn't happen. And I think one of the reasons is God wants us to walk with Him daily. And as human beings, we fight that. Even as Christians, in our flesh, we fight that. Because we want to plan things out. And to various degrees, we have some of the qualities of this man. I know for me, bought my first house when I was in my 20s. I, I, and I wasn't a Christian. I fell into the delusion that I was a self-made person. Now, when I became a Christian, I realized, whoa, <laughs> don't take God's glory, man. You know, that was his blessings to me. He gave me the, the physical ability, the, the knowledge to be able to build and fix and stuff like that. But I didn't realize that being somebody who wasn't a believer when I was younger. Okay? Where is your trust? Where's my trust? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, it says, and many have memorized this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, not in a few ways, not in 51% of your ways, in all your ways acknowledge Him, acknowledge God, and He shall direct your paths. He shall direct your paths. Six, six out of nine. Trust and love often go together. You trust someone, you tend to love that person. You're giving them your trust. You're making yourself vulnerable. If we could put up 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. This is great. In two verses, there's so much of a punch packed in here. Now, look at the wording. It doesn't say money is bad, and if you have money, you're a bad person. The Bible doesn't say that. And people erroneously say that money is the root of all evil. That's not true either. Money is innocuous. It's inanimate. But it says in verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare or a trap and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. That's powerful. You know, sometimes people leave the faith or leave a church because of trials, and I don't get that. You want to be closer to God when you go through a trial. And some leave because of some perceived 
blessing. It's not a blessing if it takes you away from God. So they strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You don't have to have money, though, to commit the sin of covetousness. And what I said before was wealth and riches are subjective. Subjective. Depending on, on each person's viewpoint or vantage point, what's the number? The number can always change. You see, money is a medium of exchange. God doesn't even say himself how much is too much or how much is too little. He doesn't say it. He asks us to, look, to check our hearts. To check our hearts. My question is this morning, are we, are you and I mastering our wealth and possession? Are we mastering it? Does it do what we say? Or have we allowed our wealth and possessions to master us? Let me say that again. Have we mastered our wealth and possessions? Or are we allowing it to master us? And it's always going to be a tug of war. One is going to win over the other every time. Just like the flesh and the spirit. We're either in the flesh at one particular time or we're in the spirit. Seven, this man was distracted away from God. He was distracted away from God until it was too late. Now here's something interesting. We don't have to be wealthy to be distracted from God. So this has an application to everyone. It's one of those, those points. And some, it's always the pursuit of making money. It's always chasing the pot of gold, chasing the dream, chasing one more time to sell my product, chasing one more time to stay open. I'll get to God. People like that, unless there's something powerful and there's a wake-up call, they usually don't get to God. And this man was in that position. How much is enough? To some, it's never enough. You know, I love to talk to people who are just honest, and, and I do witness to believers and un, unbelievers, and a lot of them say to me, you know, it's all about making money. I try to dissuade them, <laughs> and I usually will quote this parable in some uh, degree or another, but, you know, it's all about making money. Eight out of nine. I call this the successful fool. Now, is that an oxymoron? The successful fool. How could you be a CEO of a company and be a fool? Does anybody dumb get there? It's not possible. How does a CEO run a multi-million dollar company and keep it going? Would you call that person a fool? In verse 20, God said to the rich man, you fool. I looked up the Greek word. It can also mean mindless. It could also mean idiot. Now some, when they have not been really introduced to the Bible, they say, wow, would Jesus say that? The fluffy Jesus that I've always heard about? The sweet, smelling, and, and cuddly Jesus? I'm going to say this, that I think Jesus would say anything he needed to do to keep one person from damnation. He would say whatever he needed to do, say, of course, without sin, to keep one person from perishing. You can call it tough love. You could call it scared straight. You could call it whatever you want. But again, how could an accomplished person be an idiot? They can if they're covetous. See, the rich man in this parable willfully bought in to the seven previous points. Okay, and that's what makes him an accomplished fool. Imagine going through this life worshiping the creation 
instead of worshiping the Creator. When I see beautiful things in the world, when I see nature, when I see even a surgeon do a surgery and the man or the woman is absolutely brilliant, I immediately think, wow, God, you're amazing. Well, what do you mean? That he was the one with the scalpel in his hand. God gave him the neurons and the neural bundles and the brain that was able to do those things. A building, a a feat of amazement. Always give glory to God. Are we worshiping the creation or are we worshiping the creator? In that same verse, God says to him, whose will those things, your stuff that you hoarded, be which you have provided? In other words, after you die, which is in the parable, tonight, tonight, where's your stuff going to go? God has no use for stuff. Well, the man now is going to be eternally separated from his stuff. And King Solomon agonized over this subject. Now, if you look at, if you look at the days that King Solomon lived, he was arguably the wealthiest man that ever lived. If you equal inflation and you know, land for land today, King Solomon was the king. He expanded borders. He built things. The man was a genius. And towards the end of his life, he agonized over this subject. What if the people, when I die, that take my stuff and my kingdom, what if they make a mess of it? This is, you know, people think, oh, if you're rich, you don't have any worries. Well, this was his worry. What if my kids mess it up? What if they lose it all? Right? Once you die and stand before the Lord, it's too late to change anything. Just keep that in mind. And this is what Christ did. I've often said this. The parables on the surface sound kind of really light and airy and sweet and stuff, but when you really get into them, they're convicting. And Christ does this, God does this, you know, it's amazing. He, he's having a discussion about getting serious about God, and he's speaking directly to the crowd. And it wouldn't be the first time that Jesus, when he was speaking, was interrupted. And a man pops up, and all he cares about is his inheritance. Probably wasn't hearing anything that Jesus said, but... They heard about Jesus, and maybe this guy can help me with my problems. So Jesus switches gears, and instead of speaking directly, he speaks a parable. Again, draws them in with a story, opens up the symbolism, and I wonder what the man thought when he heard the parable. (laughs) The one who popped up and wanted his money problem solved. Verse 9, last one, verse 20, excuse me, part 9, verse 21. Are we laying up treasure in heaven or only on the earth? Are we rich towards God or rich towards only ourselves? Matthew 6, 19-21, Matthew 6, Jesus teaching on wealth. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the, I'm not much of a, I'm not a fan of the water and the ocean, but hopefully I get this right. The rudder is the thing that you turn it and the ship goes, right? Somebody give me a yes, an amen, something. Okay, so, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And where that rudder goes, there you will go. You watch a person's, lifestyle, you watch their behavior, you watch what they're always talking about. 
It's money, 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 money. That rudder is broken. It's taken that person in the wrong place. Are we rich towards God? Or are we just rich towards ourselves? And at any given point, we can only be one or the other. You know, I love about Jesus is, you know, in American culture, there's so many choices. You, you, you get, I need a new car. Oh, there's hundreds of dealerships and cars. And, you know, I need a new TV. There's all kinds of TVs. It can drive you nuts. There's so many choices. Jesus would always put us into, it's either this or it's that. It's either this or it's that. Yeah, but I want choice. I want C, D, and E. No, this isn't a multiple choice test. You know, you're either this way towards God or you're a selfish person. Do we glorify ourselves or do we glorify God with our abundance? Do we act like it's because we're wonderful or it's because God blessed us? Do we sacrificially give or do we hoard? Do we hold our possessions with an open hand? I was taught that early on as a Christian in pretty much life, whatever it is, you want to hold tightly. My pastor taught me hold everything with an open hand. You know, the, the tighter you try to grasp, grasp something, it can slip through your hands quicker. It's up to the Lord. For those of us that have little, are we trusting God for our necessities in life? Again, are we constantly chasing the elusive pot of gold? I, had a, I have a few uncles. I had one uncle that ever since I was a boy, a little kid, I remember him talking about winning the lottery. I mean, decades went by. It was always the lottery. <laughs> After... Decades and decades, by the way, he never did win the lottery, and he did pass away. And my mom and I, we, we witnessed to him, and I, I believe that he may have come to the Lord before he, he passed. But when you ask me, and I won't say his name, Uncle So-and-so, I think of the lottery. <laughs> the lottery identified this man's life. Sad. It's really sad. But as the expression goes, I messed this up once before. I'm not going to uh, mess it up again. You've never seen a hearse <laughs> with a U-Haul trailer in tow. If you see one, take a picture with your phone and send it to me because I've seen plenty of hearses in my day and I've never seen a trailer behind it with a bunch of stuff in it. Because where that guy goes or that gal goes, his stuff or her stuff isn't going with them. You can't take it with you. This parable starts out with riches and wealth, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's about selfishness. It's about character. It's about greed, covetousness. It's a question of where is our trust? Are we distracted from ever seeking God? What are we seeking in this life? Is it God? This could have been titled the parable of the distracted fool, or the covetous fool, or the worldly fool, or the godless fool. Fill in the blanks. This could have been titled, it's just what I needed to hear this morning. Not what I particularly wanted to hear, but it's what I needed to hear. Big difference. The question is, this morning, what is the state of our heart when it comes to wealth and possessions? The things that we have. Is there something that I need to root out of my heart, to rip it out of my heart, to get closer to God? Is it some type of weed or vine that's growing around my heart, that's choking out the fruitfulness and the little bit of spirituality that I have? Dig it out by the roots. Don't just trim it. I can tell you this, possessions never satisfy. They are a bottomless pit. They are a vacuum. They are a void designed to suck you in and they can never be filled. But God satisfies. And this is what I try to do in my life, especially when in, in counseling. 
you know, where's your spiritual health? How would you rate your relationship with the Lord? That has a lot to do with the issues that we're dealing with. And even if things are troubling to us, if we have a strong relationship with the Lord, we can deal with them easier. Again, I know, I hear, I hear the teaching, believe it, I, I, I watch it once in a while, and I, I can't watch it that long. I want to pull my hair out. Oh, you know, just have faith in God. He's going to do everything for you. You know, we, we become spoiled, lazy believers. That's not reality. You know, the desire is to make, the, the, the desire of the human heart is to make the circumstances change. And a lot of money can go a long way in making the circumstances change. It could be a health issue. It could be a relationship issue. It could be a debt issue. Money can solve a lot of problems in the world. But it's strictly looking at it from a temporal standpoint. What we really learn in Christianity is that we get filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit becomes like, you know, Duraliner armor. And we become armored and we can go through life easier. It says that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not an outside thing, it's an inside thing. And what that says is that no matter what's going on on the outside, we handle it better because we have God residing inside of us. You see, you see the difference? And you'll see the difference in that teaching, that garbage, whipped cream, sprinkles all day long teaching. Do we get blessed? Absolutely. Listen, the fact that we made it here this morning and we're alive, that's a blessing in itself. Okay? It's a beautiful day out. I mean, we can go through scores of them. But like Jesus said, our life does not consist in the abundance of the things we possess. I'll go further. It doesn't consist on our education level, how many degrees we have, how many letters there are after our names, how many people follow us on Facebook. I mean, I can go on. These are all worldly things. That is not our identity. Our identity, identity should be that we consider ourselves followers of Christ and sons and daughters of the King and that it would be His will in our life and not our own. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.